0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you for allowing church to be fun. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I think that's important, you know. Uh, I think Christmas can always go, and the season can always kind of go a couple different ways for people. Some people it's exciting. Some people it's not. And so sometimes it's just nice to have fun together. And to celebrate together and have joy together. And, and know kind of regardless of how you came in, there's people here that are just excited by the joy of the Lord. And we're excited that you're here. And, uh, man, I believe it's going to be a great morning. I, I really want to encourage you. I've, man, I've had a long week this week. And I've just been praying and believing that as I share this word with you that, and, and, and as we read scripture together, I just want to encourage you that this is a message of hope for you. This is a message of encouragement for you. And if I could desire anything as you leave this morning, is that you would leave just walking in the hope of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you as, as we continue our family tree series this morning, uh, there, there might be a million things that want to distract you, but if you would just take in this moment, I'm only going to preach for a good two and a half hours. Go ahead and take the next two to three hours just to focus into the Lord. Uh, I believe you're going to just leave hopeful. So uh, we're going to continue our family tree series we've been talking through uh the lineage of Jesus and we talked about Rahab we talked about Ruth man it's been really fun I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed being able to look at these different people in the in the lineage of Christ and I think it's so important to to see how God has really continued the promise to his people and how from the very beginning of time he's preparing this and through all of Israel preparing this incredible mom, moment of the promise. And so I, I want to share with you this morning as we continue uh, one of, I, I think one of the most important people in that lineage. Uh, but the goal of our series has again been to show how regardless of whether you feel like an outsider, or whether you feel worthy or unworthy, or regardless of whether you're past or where you're from or what you've done, that, that Christmas and most importantly Jesus Christ is for everyone and is inviting everyone into himself and, and to be made new. And so I want to really encourage you this morning. How many of you have heard the term Christmas miracle, right? I think the term Christmas miracle is uh, heavily used, and sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's like, oh, we're having pizza tonight. It's a Christmas miracle, right? <laughs> the term Christmas miracle I think is maybe, maybe overly used, we could say. I was like, I wonder how common the term Christmas miracle really is. So I Googled it uh, because that's what you do. And the first question that comes up when you Google Christmas Miracle is, how many miracles were there on 34th Street? Have you ever seen Miracle on 34th Street? I just somehow dated myself. Even though <laughs> people were like, what? The miracle on 34th Street? It was a movie about a crazy guy. I thought he was Santa. Might have been Santa. We don't really know. It was in black and white, right? Everyone with me? Okay, good. Half the audience is like, what? They're, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Go look it up. Ask your parents. Um, But I I looked at, you know, uh, Christmas Miracle, and so I looked in the news to see what are people saying and sharing about Christmas Miracle. So I just wrote down the top six headlines about Christmas Miracle, and I want to read them to you. Good? Okay. are we good? Okay. So here it is. 17-year-old gets Christmas Miracle with new heart and kidney. That's pretty good. Early Christmas Miracle. Boise woman reunites with cat lost for two years. (laughs) Amen. NFL picks week 16, time for a Christmas miracle. Even a miracle cannot save my fantasy season. Christmas miracle for a dwarf hamster named Eggnog who was abandoned on freezing streets. (laughs) Eggnog. Mariah Carey's Christmas miracle. Church prays for Christmas miracle after toy donation mix-up. Kids get Christmas miracle... Truckloads full of toys delivered by sheriff's officers. I don't know how that worked out. But all over the news, when you look up, there's this term that we see over and over, Christmas miracle, Christmas miracle. And it's like every use. There's a Christmas miracle for eggnog, the hamster. There's a Christmas miracle for the girl who needs new lungs, needs a new heart, needs new organs. Right? I think those are dramatically different things. Even I'm not trying to put eggnog down. But I think we've just taken this term and we've spread it across all these common usages. And I don't think it's because of any ill intent or purposeful bad intent. I think it's because deep down we all desire something in this time of year. What so many people, whether they can verbalize or vocalize, whether they, they understand really or we understand fully what we desire. So many of us desire for the miraculous in our lives. See, because Christmas for some is a time of joy and celebration. You hear the, it's the most wonderful time. You're like in it. You're like, this is the best time of year ever. Some people hate this time of year. Some people are not living the most wonderful time of year some of us I- in this time of year, maybe for you, is a reminder of the separation between what you desire and, and what you dreamed in your life and where your life really is. Maybe it's a reminder of hurt and pain and loss. Maybe for some of you it's a, it's a showing and telling of, of how distant your, your health is from which, what you dreamed it would be or your finances. Or you need God to do a miracle in, in so many different parts or avenues of your life. So some people, it's joyous, but for some, they long for a Christmas miracle, for something special, for that, you know, when you watch all the Santa movies, like a little bit of Christmas magic, right? That's what they desire. But what we really desire, many of us don't even realize, is we really desire for something that only God can do is a real Christmas miracle, a real miracle, a real move of God. Because for many of us, there are things in our life that can only happen breakthrough, will only happen freedom, will only happen healing, will only happen reconciliation, will only happen because of a God who can do the impossible. And more than anything, as we look today at scripture and we look at the birth of Jesus and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, what we're celebrating is that we serve a God who can do the impossible, and as we look and reflect on our own life, even if it's a joyous time for you, even if it's a celebrating time or maybe it's a frustrating, difficult time, what we look at and we remember is as, as Jesus is born, God is stamping his authority and reminding us again as people that nothing is impossible for God. And as we've been looking at the lineage of Jesus, the good news for you today in our Family Tree series here is that it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what, what, your past or maybe your pedigree or maybe uh, you know, wh- how you feel, worthy or unworthy. When we look at the people in the lineage of Jesus, what we see is it is fully dependent on God and his goodness, and everything points back to him to say, with God, nothing is impossible. We looked at Rahab, right, who was in the lineage of Christ, one of the most unlikely people who would be in the lineage of Christ. Right, We looked at Ruth, also a very unlikely person that, that you would expect to be in the lineage of Christ. Right? And today we're going to look at Mary. And I think when we really look at Mary in her life, we think God has a pattern of showing people who feel small in the world's eyes how precious and wonderful they are and how he can do the impossible in their life. And so I want to read with you this morning and encourage you out of Luke chapter 1. So if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke 1, verse 26, and the words will be on the screen too. I want to pray for you this morning before we go in there. God, I thank you this morning for your word. God, how amazing is your word, God. And God, as we read your word and we read what is written here and spoken here, God, I pray that it would soften our hearts. God, I pray that there would be transformation within us. God, I pray we would receive from you this morning, God. We give it to you in your name. Amen. All right, if you're with me in Luke 1, verse 26. Would you say amen? Amen. Oh, come on. If you're with me in Luke 1, verse 26, like he just decorated a cookie with all of your loving might, say amen. Amen. Come on. Let's get it. <laughs> Who was that? All right. Come on, girl. Awesome. All right, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Someone say Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Important, Mary was not troubled by the fact she was being greeted. She was mildly troubled by the fact that there was an angel in her room doing the greeting, right? And uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, Renaissance-era art. I was explaining this in the first service where Mary is, like, this stoic 30-year-old, like, reclined in some medieval couch. And the angel comes to her, and she's like, yes, in all my piety, I have been waiting for this moment. And I receive your word, oh, angel. And then she, like, walks. Now, Mary is a very, you know, spiritual person. She's crucial in the life of Jesus and in Scripture. But here in this moment, let me give you some context. Mary is a 14-year-old girl. Now, I don't know if your parents are here and you have a 14-year-old girl or if you know a 14-year-old girl or have ever seen one in your life. Um, <laughs> but the angel is not giving this to, like, some uh, nun or, like, deeply religious figure. He's giving it to a 14-year-old girl. And uh, if you know 14-year-old girls, you probably know nowadays if they were to receive that, they would just probably, like, go back to texting. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, great. Hold on. I don't know. Ha, 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 dying. Ha, <laughs> ha. OMG, right? And so there's this moment of understanding that it's not the stoic 30-year-old reclining, receiving this and her great piety and holiness and wisdom. This is a 14-year-old girl. And uh, the reason we know that is because she was pledged to be married. And usually this is about the time that, in the age that girls were pledged to be married. So uh, adulthood was understood differently in that time. And if you have a 14-year-old girl, you're like, no way. On earth, are you getting married at 14? This is crazy. But she had a fiancé. She was pledged to be married. But not only that, do we know that she wasn't some some stoic older woman. She she was young. We we also know that she was from Nazareth. Now, if you've been in the church, you probably heard Jesus of Nazareth. And so you're like, oh, yeah, Nazareth is a famous place. Well, at the time, Nazareth is not a famous place. Uh, In fact, when Jesus of Nazareth calls disciples, uh, in John 1, he calls Philip, and Philip goes to tell Nathanael. And he goes up to Nathanael and says, hey, you got to come see Jesus of Nazareth. And let me read to you Nathaniel's response about Jesus. He says this in uh, John one forty six. 46. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Is anyone from Nazareth here? Right, not literally, but your town is like Nazareth. Like when you tell people, oh, I'm from Nazareth. They're like, Really? you look so put together, right? Like, like I, I've lived in Nazareth, not literally that Nazareth, but a Nazareth, and, like, someone does something decently good, and it's like the whole town throws a parade. Like, yeah, they went to the Olympics. You're like, oh, my gosh, what did, what did they compete? they like, oh, no, they just went. Like, they saved money and went to another place that's not here. They're like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, what good comes from Nazareth? Uh, and, and so I say all this to say, Mary... Uh, is not great of social status, right? She doesn't have some great uh, acumen and authority. She, based on the culture she was in and the place she was from, was in decently, to the, in the world's eyes, not in God's eyes, but in the world's eyes, a decently insignificant person in a decently insignificant town. She didn't possess any great social status. She was unlikely from an unlikely place. So the question is, why did God pick her? Why did God pick someone, a 14-year-old girl from Nazareth, from an unimportant place, from an unimportant family, to be the carrier of the Messiah? Why would God pick somebody? Because it's not who the world would pick, right? In fact, in verse 27, he comes to her and says, hey, Mary, you are highly favored. He says, I am with you. Was she the most holy? Was she the most pious? Well, we know, uh, you know from her life that she was obviously very faithful. But why did God choose her? Mary being chosen and when it says you're favored by God wasn't because Mary had stored up some kind of bank account of favor. It had nothing to do with Mary. It had to do with God's character. God loves picking people that the world overlooks to do things that are unavoidably miraculous. That is the nature of God, that he picks people that the world would never see, that in the world's eyes are insignificant, but to God, because they are his children, are significant to do miraculous things. Now, it was significant because of the lineage she had, but, but other people also shared the same tribal lineage, continued through time. But she was picked because of who God is. But not only did God pick people because he wants to use them or do things, do things through them or something like their tools. He's digging through a tool chest. God chose to bring favor upon Mary because it turns out that God is good and that God is merciful. Ephesians 4 tells us that God is rich in mercy. God is loaded when it comes to mercy. And so the angel comes to Mary and says, God is with you. But can I tell you that that is a message that has continued for you and I. That in sending Jesus, there is a message for you and I that God is with us. In fact, we're told in Scripture, right, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Today, thousands of years later, Jesus is still Emmanuel, which still means God with you. And God desires more than anything to dwell with his people. You know, that's why he sent his son to not only be with you now, but for all eternity, God desires to dwell and to be with us to be with us forever in eternity in heaven. And what's amazing is it's not dependent for you and I now on where we're from. It's not dependent on even our personal lineage. It's not dependent on our pedigree or our past. It's not dependent on our nation, our tribe, our tongue, right, any of these things. It is fully dependent now on Jesus Christ. And so when we celebrate Christmas and I say God can do the impossible, what I love is sometimes we begin to see God as this far away kind of scary figure. That If we shout out the right words, he's going to hear us and he's going to answer our prayer and then he'll do the impossible. And yet that's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve is with us. He is not far. He is near. So the God who does the impossible is with you this Christmas. Let's keep going. Verse 30. If you're with me, say amen. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. That's kind of an understatement, but let me give you some clarity real quick before I jump into this. He's saying, don't be afraid because I'm about to tell you something that's going to freak you out. And uh, if you've ever been 14, this would be a scary thing to hear. Like, I'm in my 30s. This would still be terrifying. He says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Okay, we're doing good so far. And he says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. She hasn't. He hasn't told her how yet. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I feel like that's a fair response. <laughs> there's There's debate on whether that's like a, like a literary tool to move the storyline, or she literally says, How will this be? I think if you told a, if an angel told a 14 year old girl, You're about to have a baby from God, she'd be like, How? That's, that seems reasonable. <laughs> I think if you told anyone of any age that, it would be like, <laughs> Because remember, like sometimes we think of people in the Bible as characters, but they're not characters, they're people. They're real people, and a real person would look at, at what God is declaring over their life and say, how? Right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where you feel like God has begun to speak into your life and give you direction? And you're looking at the gap between what he has said and where you are now. And you're like, God, I'm not trying to, like, be mean or anything. But um, uh, <laughs> have, have you seen, well, first me, and then <laughs> have you seen the impossibility that you're calling me to? And I think her response is pretty reasonable. She's going, you know, um, I know you say I'm I'm about to have a baby, but uh, I'm a virgin. And if you don't do the deed, you can't conceive, right? And she's saying that there's something missing here. And so the angel begins to say then, here's how it's going to happen. In verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here it's happening spiritually, not through anything sexual. It's happening spiritually by the Holy Spirit. It says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Interesting, it doesn't say for she who is barren, but she who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you're okay with underlining... In your Bible, that's a great one to underline. Verse 37. In fact, if you were to go a step further, that's a great one to memorize. It's short to the point. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's read it together, actually. Let's read it. For nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, you got the pentameter. Let's read it again. Nothing will be. Oh, it says something different up there. Cool. Let's read this one. I'm so sorry, Allie. I send her these, but sometimes I'm wrong. Actually, I'm wrong a lot. Uh, Nothing is impossible with God. We nailed it. Good job, guys. (laughs) But this is this important moment that's happening in Scripture. The angel says, yeah, it's crazy by man's standards. Right? Like, it's crazy. It's bananas by man's standards. It's impossible by your own power, but it's possible by the Holy Spirit's power. In fact, not only is it not impossible, but it's actually part of God's character. And he goes, you know, your relative Elizabeth, you know, the identity that they put on her is that she's barren because she can't conceive kids. She's called barren. It's it's more than just that she is barren. It's like it's part of her identity. And that's a heavy thing to carry. He says, listen not only with you but with her as well he sees building her faith to say she is having a child she is with child god is basically saying to mary listen i'm doing the impossible all over it's what i do it's irregular to you but it's regular for me i do impossible things because nothing is impossible with god right the whole life of jesus is impossible when you really think about it right jesus is born of a virgin that, that's impossible for a man, just in case you're curious. No one's explained this to you. That's impossible. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. That's impossible too, right? By man. But with God it's possible. Jesus raised people from the dead. How about Jesus was crucified and three days later rose again. That is impossible, my man's standards, but is possible through God. How about this? Jesus took the weight of my sin that I could not pay for, the debt of my sin upon himself. I could never pay. It would be impossible, but it was possible with God. The life of Jesus, the great love act of Jesus Christ is impossible, but possible with God. And so when we celebrate Jesus When we celebrate Christmas and when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, what we're celebrating is that God came and did the impossible. It's not Santa ferried us. It's not these different things. You know, I'm like making sure there's not kids too young here. How are we doing? How are we doing? My daughter's back there freaking out about Santa. Um, (laughs) I'm just letting her roll with it until she figures out and some kid breaks her heart on the playground. But... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's not it's not magic, it's not Santa. It's the move of God. It's the mighty hand of God. And what I love about that is whatever we face in life is not greater than God. Because nothing is impossible for him. How do we respond when we're facing the impossible? I think Mary probably had a million thoughts going through her mind if we could get there and really kind of Put ourselves in Mary's mind. And I think about this where she's just told by an angel that by the Holy Spirit she was going to uh, conceive a child. And I think the first thing that would go through my mind is how am I going to explain this to my parents? Like what do you do? You Just bring the Bible in? Like yeah, we're expecting. Right? (laughs) Like that's a tough conversation. And we know from scripture that Joseph, trying to be nice, wanted to divorce her in secret. But luckily an angel came and told Joseph this is the promise. But I can't imagine that conversation with Joseph. I mean just the the tension and the anxiety. I can't imagine as she begins to face what people are going to say about her, the things they're going to speak about her, the things they're going to say about her kid, the the impossible things she's going to face in her life and the uncertainty and the 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 unclarity of the things she's facing and so She's responding to all of these things, the labels, the identities are going to be put on her. And yet, when we look at Mary, she responds, I think, in like one of the most beautiful ways. Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not according to what I think. Not according to what other people have done to me. Not according to what... Other people have spoken about me or to me, not according to the harm that's been done to me, not according to the things that people are going to say, according to your word, according, God, to which you're speaking over me. How in this time, when facing the impossible, as much as I can say, God, nothing is impossible with God, nothing is impossible with God, nothing is impossible with God, I don't have to live your life or face the things that you face, You, you have to do that. So how do you face the impossible things? And I think what we learn from Mary right here is we stand on what God says about you in his word. When you face the impossible, impossible health, impossible finances, impossible relational restoration, impossible things. When we face the impossible, we want to stand on our own strength. We want to stand on our ability. Some people want to stand on their charisma. Some people want to stand on their ability to organize things and control things. We want to stand on bank accounts. We want to stand on all kinds of things, our past, our attitudes, our different things. We, we, sometimes we stand on the things people have even identified us as or put on us. And yet the thing that holds us and keeps us through and propels us into the miraculous that God wants to do is we stand on what God has said about us in his word. Mary says, I heard what you promised, and now I'm about to face the impossible and the difficult. It wasn't easy for women of that time at 14 to have what the world would have deemed an illegitimate child, right? Both in gender, in relation, and social status, things were not going to be easy for her or for Joseph or for their family. And yet she chooses in facing the impossible that I'm secured in your word, not in what I think, not in the, the, the how the enemy tries to whisper in my mind, like, you're not good enough, you're not going to ever be enough, it's never going to happen for you. I'm secured in what your word says about me. So I want to read you some things about what God says about you. You ready for that? Do you want to know what God says about you? Here's what he says. You are valuable, Genesis 2.7. Here's what God says about you: You are created in His image, Genesis one twenty seven. God says, "You are fearfully and wonderfully made," Psalm one thirty nine verse fourteen. Here's what God says about you: You are more valuable than you could know, Matthew ten thirty one. God says, "You are more value, or you are crowned with glory and honor," Psalms eight five, Genesis one twenty six. God says about you: Though you turned away and deserved judgment, I sent My Son to save you and bring you eternal life, John three sixteen. God says even we were enemies I loved you you were an enemy to me you had aligned yourself in sin I still loved you and sent my son for you Romans 5:8 what God said about you is sin does not have the last word in your life grace does. Romans 5.20, God says you're saved. Romans 10.13, not only are you saved but you were adopted into the family of God. Ephesians 1.5, you are a child and heir of God. 1 John 3.2, Romans 8.16-17. You've got to write these down. I will send them to you if you want them because we're going to keep rolling. You are not an orphan but belong to God. John 14.18, you are loved by a perfect father. Not just any father, a perfect father. 1 John 3.1, You are made new. The old is gone. The new has come. 2 corinthians five seventeen in fact, sin is not your master Romans six eleven God has said over you, you are freed from the slavery of sin with no condemnation Romans eight one through two you are completely forgiven 1 John one nine you are made clean by the blood of Jesus, 1 John one seven and nine you are made righteous in god 's sight Romans four five you have received grace ephesians two eight you are justified by faith romans five one not by works, you are completely Secured, hear me. You are completely secured. Nothing can separate you from his love, Romans 8, 39. And he will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. If you think that, that's good, he's just warming up. You are part of a new family of brothers and sisters, Luke eight twenty one. In fact, you are part of the people of God, 1 Peter 2, 9. Because Christ is in you by the spirit and you are in Christ, John 15, 5. Which means your life is in him, John 14, 6. And the Holy Spirit then is with you. And in you, Romans 5.5, 5, and since the Holy Spirit is with you and in you, the Holy Spirit will guide you and empower you though you face what seems earthly impossible, John 16.7. And now you are being transformed to be like Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And one day... He will wipe away every tear from your eye. Death shall be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying, no pain. Revelation twenty one three through four. But until then, you are in the light. Ephesians five eight. And you are called the light of the world. Matthew five fourteen. In fact, you are called. Did you know that in your life, you are called. Second Peter one three. God says over you, you are a saint, a servant, a steward, and a soldier. Romans one seven. Acts twenty six sixteen. First Peter four ten. You are victorious through Christ. 1 Corinthians 15:57. You have a glorious future. Hear me, you have a glorious future. Romans 8:18. 8, In fact, you are a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3:20, and now you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5:20. That's not even all of them. I just run out of breath after a while. <laughs> We're going to run out of time, but scripture is full of what God has said about you. We give so much credence to what others say, what the enemy said. But what matters is what God has said, because those are his promises, his truth, his authority, his word. Like Mary said, according to your word, not not my feelings. According to your word, not, not not what has been spoken over to me. According to your word, The impossible is possible because nothing is impossible with God. And God has declared truth over you in his word. You are mighty, called, cared for, brought in, cherished, loved, forgiven, paid for. Your sin is taken as far as the east is from the west. He will never leave you or forsake you. You cannot be separated from his love, neither depth nor height, angel nor demon. Nothing can separate you from him. That is what he has spoken over you. We cheer for God's word because it's good and it's true. And because when it really, when I need a miracle, when I need God to move, when nothing man-made can do, I can't stand just on how I feel or think I stand on the promise of God. Say nothing is impossible for God. I imagine Mary, the band can come up. I imagine Mary standing in front of the cross. And uh, as a parent, I I think often about what it would have been like to parent Jesus, because it would have been one of the most unique experiences, and probably very different from mine. Uh, (laughs) Lucy, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I think, honestly, I I, I think about Mary, I think about her sitting in front of the cross and standing there and seeing her her baby boy, her firstborn, be crucified and, and mocked and beaten and spit on and... I think there's, that's probably one of the greatest separations between the promise and the present that has ever existed. God, you promised. God, you said that he would reign forever. The house of Jacob through David, that he would sit on the throne. You said he would reign forever and here he is on the cross, dead. And yet what Mary could stand on is not what people were saying about her in that area, when well, not what they were shouting at her son, what she could stand on is the word of God. The word that was brought to her at 14, when, she, when the world says she was nothing special from a place, nothing special, and yet God saw her and knew her and did something miraculous in her and spoke a promise over her. He said, nothing will be impossible for God. Not just this part is, but nothing will be impossible for God. And she would step back and remember that. And for you and I, as we face sometimes the gap between the promise and the present, and we're living maybe financially or in our health or in our life and relationally, and we see this gap, we wonder, God, how am I, how is this ever going to happen? It's so impossible. And all these thoughts begin to come in. And if you've ever laid awake in bed just wondering, am I going to be lonely forever? Am I going to be sick forever? Is there ever going to be breakthrough? Then you understand the same kind of wondering that Mary probably had at the foot of the cross of when will the impossible be possible? God, when are you going to show up? But you cannot just stand on your own thinking or understanding. You have to take captive every thought and you have to go back to the word and say, God, what have you spoken? What God has spoken is though you might be in a place where you're hurting and struggling. God has said you are cherished, loved in a place where you're feeling lonely, you got to go back to where he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. you got to go back to his word. And though you might feel like you are in defeat right now, you remember that you are victorious through Christ, that you are more than a conqueror through Christ. you got to go back to his word, not what someone told you. Go back to his word and remember that nothing is impossible with God. Not the grave, not sin, not the obstacle. Nothing is impossible. that when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate that he stepped into time to tell you nothing will be impossible with God. He said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that you'll be filled and empowered. Nothing is impossible with God. I'm going to bring you into adoption, though you feel like an outsider because of sin. You're going to be a co-heir with Christ. Nothing is impossible with God. So, So you feel like you're constantly stuck in a cycle of sin and addiction says, resist the enemy, he will flee from you. I'll give you the Holy Spirit to be free and there's breakthrough through him. Nothing is impossible with God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to invite you to, to close your eyes, bow your heads here in this moment. Just because I want you to be able to reflect on something. Just kind of put away distractions. This isn't hyper-spiritual or anything, it just allows us to focus. Not our past what matters most is that we are His children, that He so deeply loves us, and that if we come before Him and we surrender our lives, if we have a heart that pursues Him. We not only receive the peace of knowing the perfect Father's love, but we receive the eternal life that comes from Him, and that we can rest in the hope that nothing. Is it possible for our God? This morning, if you're in this church and you've never made that choice to follow Jesus with your life, and you're saying, you know, this morning, I need a miracle in my life. I, I, I know it's not going to come from anyone but God. And so today, I, I don't know all the answers, just like Mary. I don't know everything that's going to happen, but I want to choose today to say, Jesus, I, I just give my heart to you and I begin the journey of pursuing you with everything that I have. I need you to move in my life, God. If that's you this morning and you've never made that choice, but today you're going to make that choice, or maybe you made it a long time ago, but since your, your heart has wandered and you're saying, Jesus, right here, God, I'm making the choice today to give you my life and my heart and pursue you fully. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand if you're going to make that choice today? And you can put it back down. I want to pray for you every eye close, every head bowed, God. I thank you for the hands that are raised in the name of Jesus that your blood covers us, God, that when you went to the cross, you took our sin and our shame. And when you rose from the grave, you brought victory and deliverance, God. So like your word says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right now. Whoever has lifted our hands, God, we say in this moment, we give our life to you, we surrender it fully, and we choose to follow you today and for all our days. And God, I pray for every person that you would just begin to give them a deeper revelation of your love for them, God. How deeply and how completely you love them. I want to pray one more thing for you. If you're in this church this morning, and you need God to do a miracle in your life, if you need God to move, only he can do it, only he can bring the breakthrough, only he can bring the the restoration, and you need God to do it, would you just lift your hand? I'm going to pray for you this morning. You're saying, God, I need you to do a miracle in my life. Just leave them up. We're going to pray, and then at the end of service, we'll have our prayer team up here, so if you'd like to receive prayer, I want to invite you as well to be a part of that, but I want to pray for you this morning. God, you see these hands. What's amazing is before we even walked in here, you knew every situation and you know everything. And so, God, we praise you that you're good and you're merciful, that you are rich in mercy. And so, God, I pray for every situation right now that seems impossible, God, that you would make a way. God, for every relationship that seems impossibly broken, that you would mend it by your power right now, God, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. God, I pray right now for every person that feels lonely, that feels separated, that they would be brought in in this moment. God, I pray for every person whose health is so broken that it seems unfixable. I pray that you would do the impossible this Christmas, Lord. I pray that in every part, mind, health, body, that you would restore. God, you see every heart, and so we lift these things to you, our impossible things, and we stand upon your word. We say thank you, Jesus, for your word and we worship you and we celebrate you and we receive the love that comes from you. And, God, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that nothing will be impossible with God. Let's worship the Lord.